This is the Photo Experiment Podcast, brought to you by PhotoBiz X. This is the Photography Experiment Podcast, episode number 18. And today's special guest, well, there's two of them. It's Paul and Kate Atkins, husband and wife team. They are the owners of and responsible for the Atkins Pro Lab in Adelaide, Australia. It's the oldest and longest running lab in Australia. And I can't wait to bring this interview to you. Today's episode is sponsored by the Snap Photography Festival. I'm going to tell you more about them later in the show, including how to get 100 pounds off your ticket for the festival. All right, let's get into this. Welcome to the Photography Experiment Podcast. Today, we're swinging away from the usual, and instead of talking to a photographer, we're lucky enough to have both Paul and Kate of Atkins Pro Lab with us today. The Atkins Lab is celebrating their 80th year anniversary, which makes them Australia's oldest professional photo lab run by a third-generation husband and wife team. Atkins is also the only lab in the world printing on handmade cotton rag sheets, something they developed with their devotion to real fine art printing. Based in Adelaide, Australia, and servicing pro photographers worldwide, I am wrapped to be able to welcome them to the show today. Paul and Kate, hi. hello hello andrew you guys are laughing already i haven't even started oh look we're just sitting close together and it's rather nice (laughs) we never get to do that you guys are husband and wife aren't you yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so it's not too weird. <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird still. <laughs> Do you need to come over a bit, Katie? You okay? I'm all right. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> We've got a, a mic set up because of the Q&A photo podcast of DJ. Yes. We kind of sort of partly organised. Do you want us to use Call Recorder to record this? Oh, listen to you pros. <laughs> <laughs> we do what we can. Anything for you. <laughs> you can if you like, but look, I don't want to jinx myself and say that I've never lost an interview, but it's been good so far. All right, well, why don't we do it? Well, just I'll just in case. press record because it can't hurt. Exactly, yeah, good idea. I say, just describe uh, where you guys are right now and how you're doing this. So, we are, <clears> hang <throat> on, why don't I just put the picture on so you can see? Oh, yeah. no, don't do that. <laughs> Shut that shit off. Yeah, I can. can okay, see? have you got a no swearing policy on your podcast? No, Kate, you go for your life. <laughs> you're so going to regret saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got an explicit rating on this podcast. You're going to need it if she's allowed to. Good man. But don't. I'll be good. I'll be good. I'll be good. Be Be nice. You guys got a pro-looking mic then. What's in front of your mic? Oh, it's a um, tissue in a pop screen. (laughs) It's not working real well. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's because I spit too much. (laughs) I'm going to go off video so that you've got – Yes, So that you don't have any impedance. But only because – Unfortunately, I'm not hooked to our hard line and I'm on our Wi-Fi in the lab here. And we've got plenty of good Wi-Fi, but I just don't want to jinx it by adding video picture to it as well. No problem. I was enjoying watching you guys. That was going to be fun. (laughs) Yeah, right. right. (laughs) Guys, I normally have a bit of an intro and bring you guys in. I've actually recorded the intro already. I can do it again if you want me to. No, whatever you want. But I'm happy to just kick it off with a big hi. How are you going? Well, we're really good, actually. It's a good that you're interviewing us at a particular time of year when we're probably the busiest because (laughs) being a family business, our happiness is directly connected to our sales, (laughs) (laughs) which is very grim, isn't it? But that's how my family's been for the last sort of 80 years. If the sales aren't working, then 
dad is not smiling, which is yeah. kind of sad. Yeah, He's like a chronic dieter who hops on the scales every morning to see whether he can have a good day or not. You know, he checks the figures every morning. <laughs> <laughs> so Christmas is that, that good day. Yeah. Look, this is a good month, yeah, because yeah. we do a lot of wedding and portrait processing. I think it's, you know, it's the height of the season and everyone wants something for Christmas. So that's what has been good. And that's why it's a good time to speak to us. Not that we're sort of worried about business in general or anything. It's just, it's nothing like having your ideal month, you know, and having massive amounts of work coming in. And actually everyone in the lab is just doing what they're meant to do. And we're not sort of suffering from, oh, I'm bored. <laughs> let's Let's make some trouble. <laughs> It's pretty buzzy in here. Everyone's going hammer and tong and it's nice actually to see how efficiently we can work when we have truckloads of work. We just need this level of busyness all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we probably need like two sets of staff because they all pass out after, <laughs> after <laughs> six months. <laughs> well, you know what, to kick this thing off, let's get some introductions. So maybe first of all, who's who? I think that's pretty obvious. <laughs> Kate and Paul. Like I'll start because I get to start. Because right? <laughs> you're the boss of everything. Otherwise, she will totally dominate everything. So this is my small opportunity to get in here. I'm Paul Atkins. I'm the owner of a third-generation family lab. My grandfather started it in 1936, more as a photography business. But when, back then, you didn't have labs, so you were your everything. And Dad started work in the 50s in the business and he, in the 60s, kind of turned it into a, a lab. And it was around the idea of processing colour because colour was extremely difficult in the early days. This is a long intro. Sorry. We um, are the oldest photographic lab in Australia, third generation family business. This is my husband, Paul Atkins. I'm Kate Burns. Uh, Kate Burns, Jesus. She used to be Kate, Kate Burns. Bur I used to be Kate Burns. I'm now Kate Atkins. Are <laughs> <laughs> there any Christians I've listening that will be upset? Oh, shush. I've been with Paul for 20 years. I've been in the business on and off for 20 years, and I've come in as the full-time creative director after running my own business for the last 15 years, come in in the last three years to be product designer and general bossy lady. And he will talk until you all fall asleep if you let him. So we need to rein in extrovert of here. Noted. <laughs> so, Kate, are you responsible for the fantastic-looking website? Thank you, yes. 100% responsible. Well, no, no, no. I work with a brilliant photographer. He has a business called Benton Marks, um, Mark Doering, and I shoot everything on. He shoots it all. I tell him what to do. <laughs> he argues with me. <laughs> we go back and forth. But, yeah, so Mark shoots it all for us on medium format film and we process and scan it and then I get to use all those gorgeous images on the website. So, yeah. And my Instagram feed, which is my baby. Beautiful. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it is gorgeous. She's done the design of the site and she sort of engineered it all. And we've been through several iterations of trying different things. We've been through a WordPress site and this is Squarespace. You and don't give away all the secrets. Why not? This is going to this know this gonna happen. I'm going to have to smack you every now and then. Just it's shut helpful. You up. It's helpful. <laughs> this is all about uncovering secrets. That's what this podcast is about. Well, they're getting a truckload today. Yes, it is a Squarespace site. I'm a big Squarespace fan. I've been using them for, God, going on 10, ten, years. 10 years, over 10 years, I if think. If they're that old. <laughs> yeah, well, however, long, however long they've been around. But yeah, I mean, the thing is, I think, especially with photography, the thing that makes a site is the photography and the fact that we have those gorgeous images to use is is a great luxury and I really think that's what makes it. Yeah. Look, it's easy to navigate. It's easy to find out your story, what's available. It's really well done. It's nice. Well, thank you. Yeah. You know, one thing that stood out when I was reading through the website and even the intro that you didn't hear that I pre-recorded was that you talk about real fine art prints. 
<laughs> no, no, they're not real. They're not real. Well, hang on. But if a photographer writes something like that, it usually means they're having a dig at other photographers, you know? Is that what you guys are doing there? No, that's not, I, nothing to do with me. No, this don't, is don't listen. This is entirely me, nothing to do with Paul. This is my little axe to grind, and that is just an internal sort of lab issue, I think, at the moment across the world where anything that is printed on a matte paper is classed as a fine art print. Artifact Uprising is a classic example. The vast majority of their products are printed on an indigo press, and given the limitations with indigo presses, colour gamut and various other elements, I don't think they can be classified as a fine art print, certainly wouldn't be allowed into a gallery. So from my perspective, I have a history in visual arts, so in sort of painting and stuff like that. And so, you know, it's about what actually is a fine art print. And I think there's a lot of stuff flying around at the moment that are being classed as fine art and nobody knows how they're printed. And I guess for us, our whole thing is printing. Like, yes, we process film and we scan film and that sort of thing, but we believe in prints and we believe in the power of prints to last and the longevity of prints is incredibly important to us. We try to be very honest with our clients about how we print things so that you can make decisions about how you want to maintain whatever print it is. So, you know, there are certain print processes that last better than others and then how they're stored also affects them. So I guess that comment is an internal kind of lab poke at at these labs that say anything that's printed on a matte piece of paper is is fine art. And as a graphic designer, I know that that is essentially business card paper. (laughs) I go, yes, you printed your print on a piece of business card stock. Good on you. Fine art, not. I guess that's where I get. get, Hang on. I'm getting really bitchy now, but that's what bugs me. That's my little bug. Well, you know, I've got to say, like, I reckon, well, I'm guilty of this and I'm pretty sure the listener may be as well, because if I'm... probably insulted 50,000 people right now. They're all hanging up. Skip, next episode. Well, look, <laughs> maybe not insulted, but look, if I'm selling prints to my clients as a photographer, yeah. if it's printed on matte paper, I am selling it as a fine art print. So first of all, what's an Indigo Press? So I can do this. Um, <laughs> Welcome, Paul. <laughs> a little bit of history so that I can sort of clear up any conflicts and all that sort of stuff. In 2007, I went into partnership with New Lab Streets Imaging and RGB Digital to start PicPress. And PicPress, we bought an indigo press to make photo books. And, you know, it's really the ultimate printing device for making photo books. They are stunning. And the indigo press is a toner-based printer. So, Sorry, Paul, you just got to move back a little bit from your mic because I'm getting explosions <laughs> with every P. Oh, <laughs> He's so keen. He would just fly out through the mic and into your office. I so love this stuff. <laughs> I so love this it stuff. Says Indigo Press is fantastic for doing these photo books. Yeah, yeah. So Indigo Press is a toner-based printer, so it uses electrostag- uh, electrostag- <laughs> electrostatic <laughs> energy. So, you know, a photocopier, how you know, you charge up the bit of paper and you charge up negatively and the positive is the toner and it leaps across the bound and it lays onto the paper and you fuse it on there. So an indigo works the same way, except the powder is so fine. It's also suspended in a little oil in a liquid. So they say it's an ink printer, but it's actually a, a giant photocopy. It's not a giant photocopy. <laughs> Don't be rude. It's the very best technology in that world. And if you look at things like Blur Books and our wonderful company in Australia, Memento Pro or Memento, They all have indigo presses because it is the pinnacle of that sort of a concept of output. And it's incredibly efficient for printing. Efficient. Very efficient. efficient. You get your print costs down to cents, you know, rather than dollars. 
And um, we print our business cards on them yeah. uh, with a local printer that has one. Yeah, and, and they're great for that sort of thing. The reason why I say that is I think PicPress and Memento are running the Indigo Press at the very best it can. And I think you see with the awards that both those companies win with that stuff, suggesting that they're really at the top of their game with it. But we found that for professional photographers, that quality was not good enough for wedding albums and you know, and portrait albums and stuff where they're wanting to sell it for thousands of dollars. And mm. where it's more of a one-off experience. Yeah, and when it's a one-off, well. like those presses are designed to run a thousand of something or other yeah. or a 500 I mean, you, or something. If you have 500 business cards and one and, you know, 10% of them are a bit gammy or have got a spot on it or something, you don't care. But if it's the spot's right smack in the middle of the bride's face or whatever, you'd have to ditch the whole book. You know, photographers don't want that. No. Yeah, and we just found ourselves, like I personally found myself apologising for so much of the stuff through that production system that we thought we just don't want to do that and we don't think it's good enough yet. It doesn't mean it's not going to be the printing of the future. But it really isn't there. So what we found is we wound ourselves back and put our focus on silver halide and pigment inkjet printing, which is pigment inkjet is your wide format Epsoms and Canons running the uh, in the Epsom world. It's called ultra chrome ink. So they're the 200 year ink sets and archival cotton paper and all that stuff. So we look at that as being the quality benchmark that we want to the world we want to work in. And that's why. You know, we've drawn that line, so to speak, and what is a fine art print and versus what is and what is a press print, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, and it's becoming, again, second, like it's becoming more complicated again in the actual fine art community. So the art community that is not a commercial, not portraits, not weddings. I know there's a truckload of people calling themselves fine art photographers. That's sort of a marketing term really more so than actual artists who are doing art on their own, in their own thing and developing their own concepts. And those particular artists are also now producing what they're calling photo books. And sadly, they I don't know whether they've quite worked out that there's a commercial aspect called photo books. And so you'll have artists that are selling $50,000 prints and they're creating these photo books that they call photo books and they're selling them for $100,000, for example. Well, and it wouldn't be that much. Maybe it could $2, be, $2, depending on who's selling it. And then those prints, those books are one off or maybe two or three in a go and they're being handcrafted by the artists. So there's a lot of confusion in the marketplace and I guess that's where our sort of general consensus on this stuff is that the best way to resolve that confusion is actually to have all the labs in the world because I run everything. <laughs> literally does. I literally run everything to just talk about the methods that they produce their products with and then we can really compare apples with apples. I think a lot of labs do do that but a lot of photographers, for example, don't know what a digital press is or what a six-colour press means and what the different variations in colour gamut and in longevity actually result in. And I think that's where my bitchy little comment which I was impressed you picked up on because no one else has <laughs> and it has sort of come from this idea of these words being thrown around in a more of a marketing perspective and I get where you guys are coming from and you'll have to have to sort of you know position your product in the best light possible which I totally understand I do the same I guess it's about that transparency and people being able to be really clear on what they're paying for I guess because then people are like well why should I pay blah 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 for your your pigment 
print. And so then that's when I have an opportunity to have a long conversation about the differences between, you know, if you're buying 20 or let's say 10 fine art prints for under $50, they're not fine art prints. We can't supply them for that price and we wouldn't attempt to because the process is very different. And I think that needs to be discussed more in the industry. Sure. Well, let's do that today. But let me take you back to Blurred Books because you mentioned them before and, you know, they're a big company. I've had a few books printed with Blurb and the most recent so one. Have I, I. Beg your pardon? As have I. I've printed, I've used them with a number of clients. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So my question is, I just got back from six months ago from a trip to France. I created a photo book for me. I loved it. It looked amazing. The colors were superb to me. They were fine. Then I had six friends who also wanted a copy of that book that were on that same trip. The colors in their books look totally different to mine. So why is that if the same files are supplied? So do you think in isolation, without being able to compare, would you say that that any one of them could be at any one time, ignoring the others, be seen as the best? Yeah, look, I did consider that and I was happy to give the other six out to my friends because I don't think they will pick up on it. They're not photographers. But to me, the black and whites definitely had a blue tinge or blue tint through them. You know, and that was so obvious to me. As soon as I opened the book, I went, whoa, these black and whites are blue. Why does that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Blurb's an interesting one. Blurb's actually a print network and a brilliant website and a company with great attitude. Like I visited them in San Francisco in the late 2000s, you know, to, to actually try and bid for their work in Australia. Oh, so they send it out to other printers. They do. They have a, a great network of printers. In the States, they actually own a couple of well, I believe I could be I could be speaking out of turn, but I believe they own or have interest in a couple mm-hmm. of print shops. But when I visited, I went to a lab in Rochester, a uh, lab, a print shop called Color Centric, and they do actually Lulu and Blurb's books in the same building. It's an impressive business, like, and they are really in competition with each other, Lulu and Blurb. So I visited them, and there was a whole lot of things about standards that they work to. But I know from fact because I also did an Indigo Press operator training course i spent you know a week and a half on that with indigo techs and i know in any one day you can get a variation out of it and the thing with an indigo it's very much the operator is the skill i used to call them a wizard to run the indigo and they're generally quite highly paid and as an indigo press owner you rely on them heavily and no one will deny that so the thing is they have various tricks to get things out of the media So the operator variation would be a major effect. You would also have the business operator's desire for consistency to be discussed. Now, yours simply could have been printed in several different locations. You know, the first order one way, the second order another way. And one could have come out of a higher quality. The other thing is that it could have been a separate operation, but it also could have been a different operator running with a different attitude or a different business owner putting pressure on their operator to run in a different way. But so, it also does have shifts within a run. So, well, that do, like, but you, that's down you, to the operator uh, yeah, being, watching mean, out for those shifts. Sure, but I and mean, every printing operation is the same as Absolutely. That. But we have, for instance, just in our 500 run of business cards, you'll see quite a market shift between them. And that's why you have the difference between, in terms of quality between an Indigo versus full CMYK press printing where there's less of that shift between, you know, the first thing that comes off the run versus the 100,000th element that comes off the run. I guess I have a bit more experience on that end of things because I'm a graphic designer and I've worked in CMYK press printing for 20 years. So, But that still relies on the operator does, deciding yeah. to stop printing and adjust it. And it's the same with the Indigo, the operator making the decision because of drift 
to stop printing. It's the same with silver halide. I mean, you know, we have various different things that we put in place to avoid shifts in colour in silver halide. And those, but you get it. There's but, no way. Yeah, I mean, you know, and black and white's a classic example because it's always really easy to sort of see when something is a bit funny because sometimes you can get that slight shift in your black and whites. Well, the, yeah, the, but that is a very common issue. Mm. But I think the main one, and actually I... I sort of got to the bottom of this problem when I visited the Rochester Institute of Tech. They have a group called the Image Permanence Institute. IPI is the acronym for them, as the, everything has a three-letter acronym. <laughs> and the IPI, I was asking about digital press and consistency and longevity and all that sort of stuff. And they said the big problem with digital press is because the paper you can put in it is plain paper. It's just regular paper. The manufacturers of plain paper are used to supplying, for example, a pallet load for certain sorts of jobs. So let's say you're running Australian Taxation Office and you want 2,000 tax forms mm. or 50,000 or 300,000, whatever it is. You get these pallet loads of paper shipped in one hit and it's like a batch. Now, the batch variation in plain paper is fairly, fairly you know, dramatic. And if you're looking at chasing down cheaper paper, which is really easy to do when you're dealing with plain paper – the batch variation increases dramatically and they found, the guys at the Image Permanent Institute found it very hard to get a, a bead on information about this because the supply of plain paper is so variable. And so it takes an indigo press business, you know, quite a lot of chutzpah to buy the right kind of paper and spend the extra money on it from the right paper supplier to guarantee consistency. So you may and have the fallen into... Yeah, change. Yeah, suppliers change. And even good suppliers, they're buying it from a mill or a paper supplier. You don't know how many steps away it is. And so my argument is when you buy silver halide paper from Kodak, they have gone... like That's the same paper we've been buying for 40 years. And the people who are coating it are the same people that have been coating it. And there's a very lot of energy put in the design and the engineering of that paper. So the consistency is more around process variation, which an individual business can control. We're not at the mercy so much as the press industry is. So that could be one of the reasons that you've got it. But I would guess the main one would be going to a different press. You just don't know. It. Sounds like it. It's a web network. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I thought it all came out of one place. Yeah. What's the answer here? What makes... A fine art. Use up. No, shut up. No. Well, that wasn't my question, Kate. No, seriously, if you're doing five books. I'm head of marketing. Did I tell you that? Shut up, Kate. So I would use, if you're in your situation, I would use Memento for that sort of a thing. If you felt you were going to do Photos, like editions yeah. and it's critical for that. No, no. Well, not no. critical, but you feel like it's critical. Sure. Then you use an operator. No, look, that was more a general question. So tell me what makes a fine art print? Is it the printing process or is it the stock that you're printing on? Oh, it's a whole lot of things. It's the stock, yes. It's a acid-free, cotton pulp, lignum-free type of stock. So it has to be that stock to be called a fine art print? It really has to be. In our world, in our world, that is a neutral paper that is not going to, it's not in balance. So acid or alkaline is not going to push it around. It's that plus the right kind of ink. So you're not swapping it out with, you know, refilling the inks yourself. You're using genuine inks from the manufacturer, because you can't do any better than that, really. You can't do any better than go with manufacturer recommendation. But it's also the operator and the freedom with which they're given to be tenacious about chasing quality. Custom profiling for paper, managing paper batch differences, buying in batches in large quantities so that you know that the variation in the paper supply is going to be as minimal as possible. Attention to detail and even things like packaging it 
and checking the material as it comes out and then packaging it so that you're not wrapping it in something which is unhealthy for the print or scratches it. So it's like, it's more of an attitude. And if there was the ability to chase a standard for this thing, I'd be interested in doing that. But unfortunately it's just one of those wild things. We used to use the term G clay a lot Mm. and it's a French word. And here you could use the triple X rating for this. It's French for an ejaculate of color. (laughs) Of course. So, so we use G clay as a term, but it's gotten so hammered by other businesses going, well, you know, like we're doing G clay printing and it really isn't a standard, just like fine art printing isn't a standard. No. But we found fine art is an easier word for people to wrap their heads around. Half the world, I mean, our senior lecturer in photography who himself has worked in the Tate Gallery and Elton John's collection, you know, he's an amazing photographer. He couldn't even pronounce the word G clay. He used to say <laughs> Z clay or, you know, so we just got away from that term and used the term fine art. But Andrew, you're so right. There is no way you can trust whatever anyone says about using the term finite, including ourselves, mm. you've just got to bet on the company you feel most comfortable but with. But a classic, like, you know, we work with a lot of artists and we work with art galleries and Paul has put an enormous amount of effort into supporting the South Australian art scene and getting artists that are based in South Australia out to the rest of Australia and we've put on exhibitions all over the place. And I guess the thing that keeps coming back for us is, you know, if you're selling your 8 by 10 and it's going to go in a frame and you're going to sell that for, let's say, $250 to mum and dad and you go, yep, I'm happy to call that a fine art print, that's cool, that's all good. But if you're going to put a print in, say, the National Portrait Gallery, we have prints in there, you're looking at an object that is significant, that has to have certain standards in terms of its longevity, its ability to still look good in 50 years' time, its ability not to, for instance, flake or be affected by sitting in rooms and having people look at it. You know, I mean, those sorts of considerations are not things that your average photographer who sells a bit of, you know, baby photography on the weekend or whatever is really thinking about. But I guess that's from our perspective what we see and the problems that we have seen inside of certain collections, inside of galleries and with artists in terms of getting their pieces into galleries and also in terms of doing more experimental work and then what those considerations are long term. It's all very fine and well if you want to sell a print for a couple of hundred dollars, but if you want to sell your print for $100,000 because you're a significant artist, fine art print means something quite different in that situation and it's something that we as a, you know, in terms of the clients that we deal with, actually have to think about a bit more seriously, I think, than just a marketing term. And I guess that's where, from our position of our why, why we're in business for pictures that matter is our sort of one of our tags that we use. The idea of really making sure that because we print so much less than we ever have before, making sure that the prints that we actually do make are worthy of their subject matter and are worthy of being here in 50 years, 100 years, when two-thirds of our images have disappeared because they were left on computers that have all disintegrated, those prints will actually represent the humanity that we have in the world right now. And I believe that they are worthy of, of actually being something important and historical. And I guess that's partially because we've been here for 80 years, but you know, and we see that in our own old prints, but also because it's kind of what we're obsessed with and and what we think is important. I mean, I'm sitting here right now looking across at a Polaroid transfer print that was done of my husband and I sitting at a picnic that was shot 20 years ago, and it's been sitting in his office in full sun. You're full. <laughs> 
for a long time and it still looks great. So I guess from a broader philosophical perspective, that's where we're coming from. You know, this stuff actually matters to us and it's more than a marketing term and it's about, you know, 80 years from now, what are we going to be looking at? Are we going to be looking at, at faded albums with, you know, Grace and Sam on the front of them? We don't know who the hell Grace and Sam is and filled with with slightly funny colored pictures of people. I don't know. I just think it's something we need to really think about seriously. And if we're professionals, it's something we need to discuss more widely. You mentioned the eight by tens and the baby photographer, you know, shooting the odd shoot on the weekend and supplying, you know, these prints for $250 or frame prints. But then, you know, I look on your website and I see, and I'm not putting Kelly Brown into that group, but, you know, I see her gorgeous baby photos on your website on these beautiful prints that the stock looks amazing, that the photo looks amazing. Isn't that your client? Like, does it have to be someone that's going to be exhibiting in a gallery or does it have to be? No, 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 no. no. But you know what though, Andrew, this is a thing that it's hard to process. When you find that photograph of that thing that means something to you and that thing's gone or that thing is grown up or... You know, it is the most amazing thing. It's better than seeing it hanging on the walls of the Tate Gallery in London. It means so much more to you, even though it's just a picture of your family member or something Mm. or the house you used to live in. But you get teleported to that time, you know, instantly. It is so powerful that it has the same value. Yeah, it's actually like I guess that's where my point was trying to come from is that those photos of those kids are just as important as the pieces in Tate Modern. Like they are because they are our humanity. And that's why I guess I am passionate about, regardless of whether you're putting your piece in an art gallery or whether you're putting it in mum and dad's house, that the quality of the printing can still be the same. The terminology you use around it, I believe, should change depending on how you've produced it. But there's no reason you can't have a quality print that is just as good as something hanging in Tate Modern in your living room. And we do it all the time. We do it every day. We do it for Kelly. We do it for baby photographers all across the world. We do it for everyone from fine art artists through to the public. We have a small range of products that are available to the public that are professional quality. And so, you know, that is something that's important to me that, yes, yes, they are our market and as are the people who are uh, represented in galleries across the world. And this idea that there needs to be a split in the two is problematic. I mean, you know, I know that there are people when they look at certain parts of our website think, oh, they're just doing the domestic market. And then there are certain parts, the people who look at it and go, oh, they're just doing babies. You know, like it's humorous because, the quality of the printing happens the same regardless of whether your photo is of a tiny baby or your backyard or of something that is significant and will be looked at by generations of people to come in a public space. The quality and the effort applied to it within our business is identical. Well, tell me this. Let's say, let's stick with the photo of Kelly Browns here on your website. It's on the fine art page. So the listener can go and check this out and see what exactly what we're talking about. Let's say Kelly, or let's say it's me. I've photographed this baby and look, I love the look of this print. It looks fantastic. And I love the, the stock that it's printed on from what I can see on your website. I know it's going to be gorgeous. If my normal 8x10 is $250 to my client, you know, how do I justify charging? What do I say to the client to entice them to go for this fine <laughs> art print? Well, you know, that's going to cost them double. Yeah, good, that's good easy. Good that's question. easy. No, I think it's that's, hard. It, no, come on. Listen, <laughs> listen, listen, baby. <laughs> I think it's hard, Andrew. No, 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 shut up. Oh, oh I just pulled this bloody earplug out. Sorry. Okay, so that particular print you're looking at is a handmade paper print. We are the only lab in the world making them. 
They are. Are we really? Yeah, we really are. I keep searching and no one's copied us yet. Someone will copy us by the end of this. So we're going to be checking you, Kate, because we know you're a marketer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, yeah, Can baby. you hear it? <laughs> I just want to pay my mortgage off, all right? I'm like, everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so that particular print is a handmade paper print. It's a pure cotton pulp. Each sheet is made individually and then it is a print put through a printing process which is specific to us and it is a pigment. So hang on, so is this cotton rag? Is, is that what you call cotton rag? No, cotton well, rag. Well, cotton rag is a term that means yeah. pulped cotton. That's all it means yeah. is you've taken cotton and you've shredded it and pulped it and made paper out of that pulp. Yeah. So, you know, you might find some from Canson called cotton rag paper it's the same concept but you can make paper yourself this way yeah we just happen to buy sheets of this stuff made and it's usually made for all sorts of different it's a paper that is used for artists printmaking watercolor all that kind of stuff it's used all across the world currently we've just developed a very complicated and specific technique that's exclusive to us that allows it to be printed. Listen to the marketer go. Listen to her go. I know, exclusive. It is. It's exclusive, exclusive to us, and I'm going to claim that until, until some bastard bloody takes it over. Is this going through your Epson printer? Is that what's happening? I'm not going to tell you what it's doing. <laughs> how about that? How about, how about a slice of that? <laughs> Look, it's a small world, baby. All right, let me tell you. You've got a big listener base. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on, hang on. This is... This is <laughs> This is a nice print on nice paper. <laughs> yes, let's leave it at that. It's a it lovely nice. print. It's a nice, pretty it's print. It's a lovely and you print. And can I tell you some other things? You don't get a nice, rich black out of it. No, you don't. And you can get little spots on it, like yeah, little paper's full of textures flaws. and things. like. Okay, I love it. I want to sell it to my clients. Okay. How do I sell this to my clients? Oh, okay. You know what? You just show it to them. Kate, he's being helpful. You just to, show it to, to them. To, no, because I have yet to find anyone who has seen one of those prints and gone, eh, no, nah, not, not really for me. Everybody loves them. The edge is a natural edge. The texture is amazing. The shapes are incredible. And your prints just look like they look like they're like we've had people think that there might be watercolors or drawings or something. They just look bloody awesome. And I, I don't I don't know how much we, we took them to the baby summit in Atlanta, Atlanta, but we took in, the one before that in yeah. Queensland. And people the biggest response was they just kept coming back to touch it and to yeah. hold it. And that's why we made the unbound album. And you know how it's really hard for a photography business. You know when they're trying to book people, everybody says when I get in front of them, they book me. Yeah. It's if I can meet with them, this paper is once you got it in your hands, people go, oh, okay, that makes sense. And the challenge with it is it's really high wastage to make and the sheets are expensive. Yep. And we haven't nutted that side of it out, you know, the making money side out of it. Um, <laughs> We're not um, in it for making money, yeah, all right? Yeah. We're we, history makers. We'll get there. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. What does an 8 by 10 cost in one of these prints? $45. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's not stupid expensive. That's our professional price and it's a professional exclusive product. But the thing is that... So hang on, what does that mean? Well, it means that <laughs> retail... That mean, retail wait, what does that mean? The retail clients can't buy it. It's only professionals that can purchase it. Okay, so one of my clients couldn't walk into your shop with a USB and say, I want my stuff printed on this. No. No, no. They do, unfortunately, because they it's do. on our they, website. We need to find us. a way of 
sorting that we've, out. We've got plans. But what we'd like to do is for them to buy it through their photographer or yeah. through a and photographer. And we, ha- we have had clients contact us and say, I want my wedding photos printed on this. And we say, who shot your wedding? We go back to the photographer. The photographer then orders it. They make a profit and it's a win-win. So, we get a new client. The client gets what they want, blah, blah, blah. But look, the way I kind of talk to people about it, especially if you look at the Handmade Paper Unbound album, which we designed with Kelly about, oh, God, a year and a bit, year and a half ago, which is this leather wrap that goes around the handmade paper prints. So the way that I kind of talk to people about that is that you might not sell many of those actual Unbound albums, but you'll get clients because you have it, because you have this thing that no one else has or that very few people have. You have this thing that stops people in their tracks. It's so beautiful. And that's part of your identity and positioning yourself. I think one of the biggest problems we have in the wedding portrait market is that photographers are focusing on their images, which is really important. Obviously, that's what we're all there for. But they're also not discussing product or they're offering only one product. They're offering, you know, typically at the moment, one part of the market is offering just an album and nothing else and a specific style of album. And I think that I think we're limiting our imagination and we're limiting the client's options if all they can get is one thing. I think it's really important that photographers look for what works for them in terms of their own branding and their own marketplace and then really pitch something to that. And I don't think it always has to just be one album made, you know, overseas. I think it could be an album that's a different format. It could be framed prints. It could be all sorts of things. And I think photographers have been up until recently quite unsure as to how to sell that stuff you kind of feel like you need a space you need a studio people don't have studios now they go to people's houses and I think there are ways of doing that and we're hoping to help people to see how they can sell framed things and different kinds of albums without having a studio space but it just it just drives me crazy when I go onto Instagram and I just seem to see the same thing all the time. And so I guess that that's where we're coming from. We want to make something that for the photographer who actually wants to do something different. And, you know, most of them don't. Most of them want to do the same thing as their mate Frank does. And I kind of go, well, but you might get the job if you do something different from Frank. So that's where those sorts of products are coming in. And the thing is, I think, Kate, she sort of talked around the idea that it's a bit of a flagship product. In other words, not every client guaranteed you know, very few clients are going to buy it because when you get a stack of these $45 prints in an Unbound album, it is very, very expensive. But we found, you know, when people have it at baby fairs or trade shows or wedding expos, people just keep coming back and they can't put it down. What they end up selling is a single framed one for the wall. That's something we're doing more of, you know, the large rounds or the large square Mm -hmm. ones in a frame. That's probably more popular because, you know, the print value is perceived as being a bit better, whereas the Unbound album you know, 10 of those together gets very expensive. But I really wanted to make something. We went to Toronto a couple of years ago and we spoke to a photographer there who works with clients who are all, you know, in the top 1%. And they are all, you know, just ridiculously rich. And he said the problem that he has is that he did not have a product that he could sell to those clients that would fit with their lives, that are lives where they travel a lot, where their homes are ones where it's seen as ostentatious to have a lot of prints of yourself on the wall. And he really wanted something that would fit that end of the market. And I wanted to make something that was so aspirational, that was so kind of like, holy crap, this is the most beautiful thing ever. And that could be put in a drawer and that could be taken with you when you travel and just 
dropped in your suitcase and it's not something that's going to weigh a lot or take up a lot of space. And so I guess, you know, I see marketing as being like a lot of people, a three-stage thing. So you have bottom of the range, middle of the range, top of the range. That's our top of the range, I guess, along with our Master Fine Art album. And we wanted something that was just kind of blow us all out of the water. And we've had an incredible response to it. It's been really exciting, but it's an incredibly difficult bloody thing to make. <laughs> well, it <laughs> looks gorgeous. One, we're like, Thank oh, you. Christ, we did it. We actually made one. It's all good. You know, it's a bit of a birthing, <laughs> birthing experience getting those out. It looks amazing. It really does. The photographers are having success with those kind of products. Are they featuring them on their websites or do you think they have to get them into the hands of the client? No, I think it's very much something that can be featured through photography. I mean, you've only seen the photos of them. I think that if you shoot them properly, it can be gorgeous. We are planning, you know, some little videos and stuff as well. But, yeah, look, it's always great to get things in people's hands. But It's hard, but, yeah. you know, that same adage if the photographer gets in front of the client, they book them. And I don't know how that happens and what we as an industry need to do to ensure that still happens, especially with the demise of what you might say is trade shows and that where and expos where they don't seem to be going as well as they used to, you know, getting them in people's hands is really a challenging thing. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to interrupt today's interview with Paul and Kate because I really want to say a big and proper thanks to the Snap Photography Festival people for sponsoring today's episode, for making this podcast even possible and for allowing me and you to share in the fun with Paul and Kate for today's episode. The Snap Photography Festival, it's happening in the UK pretty soon. It starts on Monday the 24th of April. It's a week-long affair. It's more than just a photography conference or workshop. It's, it really is a festival. I'm looking right now as I talk to you at the festival schedule. And like, yeah, if you can think of the most fun you've ever had at a photography workshop, well, you can multiply it by 10. And I can give you an idea of why I can say that with absolute confidence because this thing sounds like an absolute party. The, the content is amazing, but it's over five days. Your ticket includes accommodation. You get to hang out with like-minded people, photographers, creatives for five days. And if you're anything like me, when you go to these workshops, even a single day workshop, it's the networking and the friends that you make that really add to the whole appeal of a photography workshop. You tend to make friends that last a lifetime, like-minded friends, you know, creatives that do what you do. I find when I meet people at these kind of events, they are the ones that I'm still in contact with up to 10, 15, 20 years later. And that's been the case for me and people I've met through AIPP conferences. So I can just imagine what it'd be like to hang out with a bunch of people for five days and not only learn with them, but hang out and, you know, and party with them and drink and hang around campfires and dance and sing and just be silly crazy stupid and and have lots of fun and shoot and be creative and and just do everything together i think this would be amazing and if you're one of these people that find it scary or daunting you know the thought of going out and mixing with a whole lot of creatives with a whole lot of other people at one of these conferences because you might be a little bit quieter a bit more subdued maybe not so outgoing uh, because that's exactly how i feel i i literally feel scared when i go to these events. I hate walking into those rooms full of people and everyone looks like they're more talented and more creative and more experienced than me. If the truth be told, 
they're probably just as scared as me. Well, I don't know, maybe, maybe some of them are because some of them look super confident and I never feel like that when I walk into these things. But yeah, I know, I know for a fact that once I get in and I start making some conversations or people approach me and I start chatting, I forget all that and I realise how much fun it is to mix and interact and talk to and experience new things with other people. Anyway, I've been totally sidetracked because I'm looking, I just get excited when I think about the friends that I've made through photography workshops. And I just know that you know a five-day affair, there is no way you can come out of that without making lifelong friends. There's no way. And you know you, you can look at the the business benefits, you know, the networking benefits of making these acquaintances. But really, I think it's the friends more so than whatever they can bring to your business. They're going to mean so much to you in years to come. And I've got a feeling that if the presenters are hanging around too for the full five days, and I imagine they are, you're going to be in some pretty cool company and you're going to be able to network and talk to and have access to the presenters as well as the fellow students and learners at this event. (laughs) <laughs> I've said it before when I talk about Snap that you know if there's one photography thing I could go to in the whole year, I think this one would be it because five days away sounds like a holiday in itself and then to be surrounded and doing this sort of stuff, you know, the stuff that I love to do would be just fantastic. Let me tell you just a little bit about this schedule because I know I'm just rambling on and on here. The first thing that's caught my eyes are board games and campfire hangouts. <laughs> I was actually looking for more photography-related stuff here. Uh, okay, here we go. Um, you've got Candace Cusick talking about moments, moments, moments. She is the documentary photographer who's gone into weddings, amazingly talented photographer. <laughs> the next session, next level shit, SEO and other tips for serving a diverse audience. I love that. There's boudoir and bad arsery. There's self-love and bad arsery by Cheyenne Gill. That's awesome. Taking charge of your work. I'm not exactly sure what that one's about, but I'm guessing it's just getting stuff done, you know, being responsible, setting aside times to do the work and not spend so much time on Facebook, maybe. Uh, Frank Boutonnet, who I've interviewed on the show, what a talented photographer. He's talking about his documentary approach and storytelling. Uh, He's the guy that has written into his contract that if something comes up for his personal project, and if you heard that interview, you'd know that he's photographing or documenting times and places when someone big or famous or well-known in the world dies. So recently, and he he can leave a wedding to go and photograph one of these events. So recently, Fidel Castro died, and he dropped everything to go and document that week in Cuba. Just amazing. So yeah, imagine having him booked for your photographer and knowing that a world leader has died. So he has to shoot off and document that instead of photographing your wedding. How does he get away with that? So this is the kind of thing that you'll be learning. And these are the kind of people you'll be inspired by at Snap Photography Festival. I love some of these other workshops, making inspirational, less elusive. That sounds great. Creating time to create making it happen. I love these things. So this is you know, not so much about the business side or how to shoot, it's how to be creative, you know, how to create the type of work that you want to be creating, how to see for yourself without copying, and how to create work that's unique to you. That's so many of the things that I hear about inside the Premium Members Facebook group for PhotoBizX, you know, how do we find our own style? This sounds like an amazing event. Like I said, Monday the 24th of April to Friday the 28th of April, Use the promo code SNAP100 and you'll get 100 British pounds off the cost of your ticket, which is an amazing saving in itself. It sounds like an incredible event. 
head over to snapphotofestival.com. I'll have links in the show notes. Go and check it out. Find a friend to go with you. If you've got no friends <laughs> or if you've got no one that can go with you, honestly, take a chance, take a risk, go on your own. And I know, I, I want you to tell me if you go ahead and do this, if you go on your own, I want you to let me know that you're doing this. And I want to talk about your experience after you've been to Snap because I reckon you're going to come back and say it's the best thing I've ever done. Go and check it out, snapphotofestival.com. Just before I move on from the fine art paper or the cotton rag, that's the same thing. It's two different products. Which? Fine art paper and cotton rag. So handmade prints is handmade cotton print. Okay. So we have... I'll explain it. I'll explain it. Paul's really new to this whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) We have our fine art pigment prints, which are printed in the way we talked about earlier. It is a cotton rag paper, but it comes... We actually have a range of different papers, and that is a pigment, so the... The ink is spat onto the page. Um, ejaculated it, onto it, the ejac- page. <laughs> <laughs> so I love it. We're using an Epson printer and we're using Hunnamuel or Canson yeah. or Ilford, whatever material is suitable for what we're doing. We talk about a textured or a smooth handmade yeah. paper. Uh, sorry, cotton. Uh, oh, Christ, you're falling print. apart. But, yeah. Sorry. We talk about hand, uh, smooth or textured. And frankly, yeah. we go with any of those three big manufacturers. And that's the fine art print. Then we have the handmade paper prints which is a similar process to the fine art print in terms of its ink, but it is obviously a different paper material. Then we go to our matte art paper, which is another kind of printing process, and then we go down to silver halide. And it's the not silver down halide, to, I think it's up it's to down silver halide. To, well, you know, take your pick. That's okay. Um, where it sits, I'm talking about this really in terms of pricing. And so silver halide is cheaper than our matte art prints, and our matte art prints are cheaper than our... Fine art prints. So that's sort of and where... And fine art prints are cheaper than a handmade paper print. Paper print. Yes. Well, let me say, so I order some handmade prints and they could be on the cotton rag or the fine art paper and I take them to my framer because the way you have them displayed on your website is you can see the, the torn edges of the paper. So the print must be stuck onto a mat board. Does my framer have to use a special kind of glue to do that? to make sure that stays good? We would encourage you to frame with us oh, okay. because we, we offer full <laughs> framing services. And What about overseas clients? Yeah, we, we frame, we we frame and we stuff. ship overseas as well. Oh, okay. All right, so if they don't want to do that, if the listener doesn't want to do that. Well, look, this is a very good question, yeah, um, Andrew. And we, you, know, you don't need anything special, but we find some framers are using bad products at any rate, yeah. using spray glues or... Or things that that's about picking ideal. the right framer. You so, know? so you know, like yeah, a good framer that knows their fine art stuff mm. could either hinge mount this stuff if yeah. you want, because it, it is like a thousand GSM. It's so stiff it almost doesn't need to be mounted. In fact, we do do an option with that with the handmade paper prints. We do an option which is actually just hung completely unframed on the wall. We put a backing on it, which allows you and a hook so you can hang it. Which is great for display, wall. but not really great for longevity, you know, because you've got an exposed bit of paper. Yeah, but it on. looks bloody awesome. He's just being an old man. It looks so good. But don't <laughs> be selling it to like a farmer with 40 acres because the no. flies will crap all over it. Right. But if you take that out of it, it's so beautiful. Or a North Queenslander with the geckos. With the geckos. <laughs> well, I might add to it, you know. Hey, guys, I want to get onto film in just a minute. But just before we get onto that, you guys, you're dealing with a lot of digital files. What can the photographer do to make sure they get the kind of prints that they're seeing on their monitor? I mean, is it just about calibrating? 
Yeah, thanks for asking that. That's my specialty, and Kate will finally be quiet. Uh, no, um, so yes, a calibrated monitor is important, but most of our products now include color correction as a part of it or color checking. So you guys will do that at your end. Yeah, we will do it at our end, no matter what I send. Yeah, no matter what you send. Now the problem if happens. If you choose then, a premium print product, yeah, if you choose one of our products, are called a premium print that includes color correcting. Now, frankly, not long ago. 70% of the throughput of the lab was direct output without adjusting the color. And we charged extra for color correcting. And it was an add-on sale. And we found that people weren't buying it because it was an extra cost. When we just called it a premium print and it includes color correcting, we're now doing 70% of work adjusted before printing. So I don't think people are that precious about DIYing the color. Right. I don't think they're that – I think they're a bit over it. But those experienced photographers who want to do it themselves – all respect to them, and we'll support them by making a consistent output so that we're reliable. And in their case, we'd encourage them to use an ISO Color Edge monitor. Hang on, you know a lot of the listeners won't be using that. No, I know that. I know that. But I think if they're a photographer wanting to do that themselves, wanting to DIY the color, I think they really need to invest the money or the SpectraScan NEC. They're the only two monitor brands and model makes I'd recommend. What was the NEC one? I think it's the SpectraScan or SpectraView. Right, okay. Surely 90% of photographers you're dealing with are using an iMac or something similar. They are, they are. In which case, the best thing they can do is use calibration software and a profiling device. Like, we personally recommend the X-Rite i1 display system. I think it's much better than the Spider or the Color Monkey or pretty much anything else. The i1 Pro is the gold standard for that but the X-Rite i1 display is excellent. But the thing you've got to remember that is, and I don't know if you've seen a photograph of my physique, but, <laughs> you know, if I was to enter a marathon, I wouldn't be finishing it, right? Um, but if you <laughs> put on. Hussein Bolt alongside me, he's the ISO and I'm the iMac, and let's say we do all the training we want. So I'm calibrated. I use a calibrator on my iMac, and I'm trained to do this thing as much as I can. I'm still not going to beat that guy. And so... You know, and look, one of those monitors is 1600 to 2800 for a reasonable range one. And you're going to go out and buy a prime lens for your Nikon and probably spend that kind of money anyway, or your Canon. So I think that as a professional photographer, it should, and if someone who wants to DIY the color, who really wants to do their own color work, then I think it's a natural expression of money. <laughs> yeah. You express your money in the direction of those guys. And frankly, we don't know the NECs very well. We've tested them here, but and we're not a test house. We don't invite testing, but we've had ISOs since they came into flat panels. So over 10 years, and they are rock solid, and the quality of print to screen match is what we want. So if you're setting the files, I'd encourage that. The other thing that I would encourage you to do is we're not a lab that says you must use sRGB or you must use Adobe RGB or you must use Profoto. We don't mind what you want to use because we will detect your incoming profile and convert to our output profile. Okay. Regardless of that, though, and this is just, you know, sort of color management 101, regardless, you have to embed your working ICC profile. So there is a way of doing that in Photoshop and it happens in the save dialogue. You'll see a little tick box. Mm -hmm. If you're coming out of Lightroom, it'll automatically embed the profile. So... If you've got your camera set to sRGB, have your working space set to sRGB in Photoshop and tag your photos as sRGB, and then we'll detect and convert upon print. We have opinions about what's the better color space, but I think that's, you know, that's nerdery. Surely it's Adobe RGB. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. I agree with you. Adobe's our recommended. People ask us for advice, we'd say Adobe. If they're a, an inexperienced working domestic photographer, so they're just doing a few wedding portraits or a few baby pics, sRGB will get by with 90% of your work. The only time sRGB will let you down is when you're photographing extreme colours, super bright reds and super bright greens and that sort of stuff. And some of those colours won't even be printable. I've had a horrible time with reds in the past. Well, reds are a brute. And sometimes sRGB just gets around that problem because it doesn't show you and you can't edit those extreme reds. It just moves it down to a smaller space. So in some ways, sRGB becomes a more of a predictable editing space. You kind of get more what you're seeing. And I know that sounds, I'm, I'm dumbing it down. I'm actively dumbing it down. But sometimes that's a smarter workflow for people who don't want to be you know, fussed by this too much. Sometimes Adobe RGB raises your expectations only to be let down a little bit by the print. Yeah, I know what you mean for sure. That's a good way to put it. All right, what about film? Are you guys seeing more film developing these days than you have in the past? Oh my God. I mean, we, we came off of doing 400 rolls a day in the sort of late 90s or mid 90s is where things were peaked and and maybe late 90s, that was what we're sort of doing. In the 2000s, of course, the swap over to digital happened And the thing that probably hurt me the most in the process was not the transition from analog to digital, because I love digital for all its wonders, but it was the attitude that people put on film photographers and the attitude that was shot back at digital photographers, that this is better and you're rubbish and you're doing the bad thing. And it built this tension up in the industry between early adopters and late adopters. And this judgment was spinning around about, oh, film's crap or digital's crap or... Mm. And you know what? It progressed that way and it slowly transitioned that everyone was saying you'd be mad if you're still shooting film, right? Mm. And I that really hurt me the most because we were still processing film through that whole time. We're still scanning and delivering. And what happened is we just got a customer group that were effectively verbally persecuted and, of course, the rise of social media made it even worse because and forums and that and the judgments were spinning wildly around the place and where we are now is i think we've reached a utopia where people go i'm going to choose the capture method that suits me and the way i want to work and my niche and what's happened is the freedom sort of opened up a bit and people have gone well digital's great but everybody's shooting digital and everyone's got and even my clients or even guests at the weddings have a better camera than me I wanted to have something different. So we're finding people are going, let's explore film. And they're throwing it either in the mix as a few roles as a part of the wedding or they're committing completely like one of our customers and shooting, you know, 40 weddings a year on medium format film. And they are rocking it. It's a very distinct look. The clients that get them are not there shopping on price. They're shopping because this person does something special. And that that is where the magic is. And to some extent, the look is very noticeable and you people arguing, I can get that with digital and that kind of stuff. But I don't think you really can get the whole thing. You certainly can't get the experience with a photographer on the day. It's more than a look. Yeah, it's more than a look. You know, with digital on the day, there's a lot of showing people the back of the camera, which is a good and a bad thing. But it's almost like bringing a third party to your relationship with your client. Mm. You know, it's like <laughs> like in a marriage, bringing someone else into the bedroom. How weird is that? <laughs> oh, um, so with film, with film, you almost you don't have that. There's a trust with a photographer that they're doing the right thing. Yeah. There is no way on the day they can see that the photographer is actually getting anything. The lab's still to screw it up, you know. <laughs> like you don't know what's going to happen. But there's people that are buying into that magic yeah. and. 
it is magic. It's smoke and mirrors. You know, digital can do a great job and can do everything you really want it to do. But this is just bringing back some mystique and magic into the process that people are seeing. And the result of it is we're processing four days a week when we're almost down to one day a week with color neg film and black and white. We're getting so much we can't actually and we're hand processing black and white. Yeah. We're getting so much we're struggling to get through it during the week. Everyone's got iris. Wow. So we don't know but what to do. It, you know? Like it's really personal. And I think it's up to the photographer. You have to have the temperament to do it and you have to be comfortable with the risks of it. It can be risky. Certainly when we, prior to us putting ourselves out there and also getting a new scanner that people were interested in, people were being forced to get the look that they wanted to send it overseas, which, you know, is a risky proposition sending an entire wedding worth of film across the world. <laughs> For sure. And it was super common. like Very common. It still is. There are still a lot of photographers that will do that. Yeah, they still do it. And there's some labs that don't actually even send the film back, that just send you the digital files. Yeah and sit on it or destroy it. And so it's a really specific thing, and I think it's something that all photographers should just have a bash at on the weekend, even if they don't ever want to actually do it for their clients. I don't think there's anything wrong with being a hybrid shooter, doing both, and doing various, like maybe you do family stuff with film and you do weddings with digital or whatever you want to do. I think we're now in a position where we can really play with all sorts of stuff, and it doesn't have to be either or. And it also, I think there's this misconception that the look has to be you know, that very Jose Villa, very pale, very light look to film. That is a thing that can be achieved with film, but just as that can be achieved, the reverse can be achieved. And you can shoot and you can scan and you can colour correct so that it's very dark, very intense blacks, very solid colours. Each film type offers different benefits to and from and in varying degrees to all of those different looks. So it is something that is I think really exciting because I personally love, love, love film. That's why we shoot all of our products on film. But I also use my iPhone constantly <laughs> <laughs> and I shoot various things around the lab on digital camera as well. And so I just think Paul's right. We don't have to be, oh, you're a film photographer, you're not professional. You're a hipster. You're, or you're, yeah, <laughs> or you're digital, that means your stuff's crap. It's just like it's like another tool you know it's like all paints watercolor it's another tool that you guys can play with and experiment with we're a pro lab we have an enormous experience with it and we love talking to people about it paul you know i'm sitting here looking at his office that is just surrounded in old film cameras we are very passionate about it and i personally shoot my daily carry is a 1936 contacts 35 mil camera yeah. and i take like a month to get through a roll of film and it's interesting because at the end of the month I get a process and I go, wow, look at all this stuff I shot. Yeah. And I was doing the same thing with digital. I was shooting a little bit more, but I've always been a slow shooter at any rate. But I do love – and the thing is you've got this thing with you that you actually want to keep because it's like having you know, your grandfather's watch. Yeah. yeah, it's It actually works without batteries and it winds up and it just still works after eight years. And yeah. I think that sort of blows me away. But anyone I bump into when I'm shooting it, they're standing there asking me questions. So yeah. immediately there is this conversation opener and they go, oh, do you shoot 
professionally and I go well not really but I run a lab and they said now that's how you can afford to shoot film <laughs> well basically because it does get expensive yeah. you know and I was recently overseas and I have an Instagram account that while I was there I was posting constantly shooting only with my iPhone but I was also shooting at the same time on film and so now I'm posting now that I'm back I've got it scanned and because I'm lazy I'm only posting once every couple of days and I'm posting all of the film shots from the same thing and you can see I mean there's an obvious market difference so yeah i think it's just another tool you know yeah you guys develop a lot of film and i expect most of that or a lot of these from professional photographers if someone wanted to give this a go a listener was thinking about trying film what's going to give them the best results as far as the lab's concerned what do you want to see or what don't you want to see come into the lab that's going to make life easy or difficult for you what's... Oh, for us yeah yeah oh that's a really good question i think probably the big thing is is just getting your camera seeing that it's working, you know, the biggest disappointment is someone mm. goes to the trouble of using a, an old camera or something, but they don't have it checked out first. So because there are quite a lot of technicians around that will still help you with film cameras. Choosing a camera, like if you're going to go to the trouble of shooting film, you may as well go to the trouble of using something a little bit higher quality. And the good thing about that is the prices are, are super cheap. So I wouldn't just go and grab the worst possible camera I could get my hands on to shoot it. Give yourself a good experience in the whole event. You know, I think even going to medium format is a great... Now, if you've had no medium format experience, it can be quite daunting. So you're going to need to buddy up with somebody. But the reason why I'm saying this is 35mm is pretty cool, but it doesn't feel that different from digital when you see the results and everything. It's not that different. Whereas medium format, whether you shoot square or rectangular or whatever, let's look at 6 by 7 format. There's six 35mm frames in there. So you're getting effectively a resolution that's so beyond what we're used to and a look and feel that's amazing. And you can shoot something like a 400-speed film, 400 ISO film, and that will give you a fairly well-behaving camera in most light. The, the thing that I would encourage you to do, though, in testing a camera like this, first you've checked that it's working, right? You've had someone check it out so you've got no bad experience. You've got a friend that showed you how to load the thing, so that you know you're going to get results out of it. Then what you want to do is do a trick like take a meter reading. Maybe even with your iPhone, you can get there's wonderful apps for using as a light meter. I use one that's called Light Meter on my phone, and that's accurate, extremely accurate compared to, you know, some of those old meters you might find in the secondhand shops. It works well. And of course, everyone has their phone on them. Take one meter reading in a room and then just shoot. And you don't have to particularly readjust your exposure settings and all people are not used to the latitude that film produces the other thing you can do is go out and shoot your subject right into the sun like something you would generally be concerned doing with most cameras you'll find that it can survive an eight stop overexposure and still look really interesting and give really great sort of soft wistful effects with that stuff so what i'm suggesting is use a good camera and really push the results even just with your first roll of film and I'd be surprised if you didn't get it back and went, oh, wow, that's really cool. Yeah, right, okay. I thought you were going to say something a little bit more general, like, oh, make sure you overexpose by a stop. It's going to give you, no. you know, we're going to get better results. No, no. Look, the other thing people tend to do is, and, you know, when you mention overexpose, as film ages, it generally loses its ISO, its speed. So a 400 might end up being a 200 after being two years out of date. So be wary of buying old film. Yeah. It might give you a really bad result straight give up. Give yourself a good chance um, to start with. Yeah. But, but look, also, you, you might move to old film. Like I shoot an 800 ISO Kodak Portra film and it's behaving like it's probably 200 ISO. 
but I've even underexposed it and got some really cool effects, which I'll, I might send you a picture through for the site, Andrew, just to give you a, a feel for what can be done. But I wouldn't do that first up. No. I think you would get disappointed when you see the results. And we're just trying to give you that first good experience of the yeah, process. Yeah, and also I think it's a really good idea to join one of those Facebook groups. There's tons of them out there for film and start looking at and like do hashtag searches on Instagram and that and see what kind of looks do you like? What are you drawn to? What kind of work, what kind of people who are shooting, what do they do that you're interested in? Ask them what kind of film is that? What kind of camera is that? But film photographers are very sherry you know they want everybody to be shooting more film because then it means that they will be able to shoot more film for longer the more popular film becomes the more you know we can continue that's it, a really good point being made so it's, so it's and, a critical mass type of yeah thing with but it, it also gives you an idea of what you want to try and aim for like if you want that gritty toy camera light flares and and that sort of thing if that's the kind of look you want then you don't have to go and get some fancy schmancy camera you can actually get a toy camera if you want something that has those smooth luscious tones and the gorgeous kind of dropouts that you get with very large formats or even medium format then go down that track so really have a think first about what you're actually interested in doing as well because that makes a difference and then there's all sorts of cool stuff you can do with polaroid and you can you know you can develop at home if you do it black and white you can very easy to develop at home there's so many things that can be done with it but starting with what you actually are drawn to is a really good way to start good advice cool this has been awesome, guys. I've really enjoyed this chat. Kate, last question for you. Yes. If the listener wants to try a product out, like try yes. you know, what you guys do as far as the handmade or fine art stuff, what's something to start with? Where should we start? I'm going to send down a couple of files. I'm going to try. I want to give this a go because I love the look of it. What should I start with? Look, so the way that we do it is we require professionals to register with us first. And all that is is filling out a form so that we know you're an actually a professional and not just somebody trying to get a cheaper print. <laughs> so I did that. Yeah. So that was a pretty easy ask my ABN and my AIPP number. Yeah. You don't have to have an AIPP member. You, no, no. We, you noticed there was a few questions. Yeah. Yes. So we do a bit of background research, which why it takes a little bit to get back. We check out that, you know, you're bona fide, so to speak. You don't have to be an AIPP member. Remember, me being on the AIPP board and former state president suggests that I'm actually quite pro It's just AIPP. because he needs to speak to people 24-7. <laughs> so he needs to be on all the bloody boards. Anything to avoid work. Sorry, introvert <laughs> and extroverted are married here. So essentially you send in the form, we will send you our price list and if you like are keen then we'll send you our login details for our price list, our online ordering. We have a whole bunch of little digital files there that are helpful for photographers. Then if you're interested in our albums, we give each photographer five of our album covers engraved with your logo on them for free. We can give you free test prints of any of the papers that you're interested in. And for today's listeners, we will be having a special offer, which we haven't figured out what that's going to be, but it's going to be very special and it's going to be an offer. I thought she was going to pull then, something out of it. I was going to pull, but I was too bloody hard. So we will have an offer that will be in the show notes. But yeah, look, any time really, if you are worried about your screen or if you're worried about, or you're just curious about like, like what our matte art print might look like in comparison to the fine art print. We're happy to always do test prints for you. And, look, we are very much a hands-on operation. Like call us, email us, say I'm having trouble, whatever. We will talk to you. You're not a number. We want to 
have relationships with our clients. And if you have an idea, I'm the ideas lady that makes a mess and has an office full of crap. I'm slightly hoardery on that side of things. So if you have like some amazing product idea that no one's made for you, email me. Email me, kateatakins.com.au, and I will work with you to come up with something cool. But, yeah, so we're always trying to do that sort of stuff. We are a small lab, but we're also really keen on speaking to humans. <laughs> we're not that small. We've got 15 staff, including us. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's, but a, it's not, you We're know, probably one of the bigger ones one in the, the other, country at the yeah, moment. Both. But Lab Sense, we used to have 50 people. So yeah. I've managed to, like, totally destroy the business down to 15 people. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, seeing that Kate couldn't answer my question, <laughs> what's one product that I should try first? What's going to blow me away as far as a print? What's going to blow you away? Well, you know what I do is because I've got this leaning away from, you know, just doing samples and that kind of stuff. I would think if you're thinking about entering the Apple Awards or you've got an image that really means something to you that you want to do something with it, whether it's an award entry or not. I think that's a really good spot to start. But with our award stuff, you can just send it and we can print it or we can adjust it first. But what I'd suggest you do is say, hey, I really want to speak to someone about printing this. And then we'll arrange a time for you to speak to David, our master printer, or Miriam, who's effectively Dave's apprentice in that, and and just like go through what is it about the image that's important to you. And we can then edit it if need be, to make sure that that's transferred, what's in your head is transferred yeah. to the paper. And, and we can advise you what paper would suit the best and all those sorts okay. of things. It's critical, the communication side of things, because we get photographers that will send stuff in and we will go, oh, is it supposed to look, do you think it's supposed to look like that? Oh, yeah, yeah, and because we, you've done an effect. Yeah, you've you done know? an effect or whatever. And so if suddenly everybody's got green faces and we're like, holy crap. And if we contacted every client who did that and went, are you sure? Then it's, it's firstly, it can be a little insulting. But secondly, you know, it takes a long time. So if you're really wanting to, say, have high key images that don't go to paper white, for example. So you, oh, fuck. What? Oh. <laughs> we thought we just lost you. We just no. lost you. No, I've we got you. I got oh. that. I got that fucking okay. all its glory. I was doing so well. But if you like a high key image that's like got lots of white in it, for example, but you don't want it to have that funny edge where it goes to paper white, shut up. Then, then we can absolutely monitor that and we can tell you, you know, oh, what if you do this or what if you do that? So, like, it's the communication thing. We are kind of known for our blacks, for example keeping the detail within the blacks, holding that detail, that's something we're really, really good at. So if you have a really dark, moody shot and you want those details and you want to put it in the awards or you just want to have it on your wall, then talk to us. Tell us that that's what you're struggling with or that's what you want and we will contact you if that's an issue. Because the big thing about, and that's the thing, we're trying not to commoditize the idea of printing. And it's fine to commoditize it when you're in production, you know us, we know you, and we're just getting the stuff through because, you know, it's not the most critical print on earth. But until we get to know who you are or when we're dealing with your awards prints or we're dealing with that hero print for your client that you know is going to get you a whole lot of other clients because they're a a luminary, you know, and they'll talk and blah, blah, blah. That's when we need to understand you and we need to understand one another and it needs to become a proper partnership in that process. And that's where the consistency stuff comes in because, like, if you you consistently want clean blacks and, you know, slightly yellow, blue, like, skin tones, those lovely skin tones, if you consistently want that and then suddenly something comes in and you've got green skin tones, we're going to go, hold up. 
this is not his usual thing. What's happened here? And we'll get on the phone and we'll go, this sounds and looks a little bit funny in the skin tones and then we can have a conversation, you right. know. And that's that's the partnership that I believe all pro labs should have with their clients where it is where we know what you want and what you want is totally different from what Sarah wants and what Billy wants. They're all completely all different. But that means that we are saving you money because instead of just blindly running it out, we'll go, this looks weird. Are you sure you want us to do that? And I think that's where you, yes, a pro lab is more expensive than me, Norman, <laughs> but it is, you really do get that hand-to-hand kind of, you know. So, Andrew, did monitoring. she answer my answer to your answer? <laughs> I think I heard fine art print somewhere in there. <laughs> blah, 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 fine blah, art blah, print is blah, beautiful, blah blah. blah, blah. Order anything, it's all gorgeous. <laughs> and come get our prices because it's really sexy and I put a lot of effort into it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I might need to get mine. So I filled out the form a little while ago and uh, yeah, when I say a little while ago, half hour ago, an hour ago. So. Oh, half an hour. Okay. Before we started recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all good. Guys, this has been a real pleasure. Where is the best place for people to check out more? Probably our Instagram feed. Uh, no, atkins.com.au. Yeah, yeah, okay, atkins.com.au. But <laughs> our Instagram feed is like our current latest stuff. What's wrong with Facebook? No, because you put all this boring crap on Facebook. It's not boring. It's just it's important. It's No, he's giving me the eyeballs right now. <laughs> Facebook's good. If you just want pure, like, product porn, then our Instagram is the way to go. I am obsessive about our Instagram. It is gorgeous, your account. It looks like a film photographer's account. Oh, oh you got to fix that. Shut up. got to mix Why? it up. Baby. Oh, no, no. I love it. I think it's a beautiful palette. Thank well, you, and Andrew. I'm constantly the there, compliment? so I will check messages. That's, we and... take the compliment. And what we try and do is with our blog, and the reason why Kate's pointed you at that, with our blog and our Facebook, we don't want to just bore people like we are with our Instagram with pretty pictures. Oh, <laughs> you we, monster. We, we want to put stuff... <laughs> You know, industry news and inspirational stuff and stories that connect with photographers and mean something to them. And we have two feeds, I have to say. We have Atkins Photo Lab, which is our retail Facebook feed, and Atkins Pro Lab, which is our pro feed. We have atkinsphotolab.retail, which is our Instagram, which is retail, and then atkins.pro.lab, which is our pro. We split them because we don't want to confused retail thinking they can buy products that are only pro only and we really haven't put that much effort into the retail side of things it's all a bit pathetic the, just look for pro atkins pro is where you want. got it yep i'll add links to those in the show notes with all this and, and the when you dream up that special offer yeah yeah we'll put that in there as well <laughs> guys this has been a real pleasure thank you so much oh, thank you for fantastic. the opportunity yeah. i appreciate it very, very much great. Alrighty, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Paul and Kate. Paul and Kate, if you're listening, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it was great to have both of you here. I'm not sure who is the real boss down there at Atkins. <laughs> uh, look, I really hope to catch up with you guys in person at some stage. I can't wait to send you a couple of files down to get some of these sample prints, uh, the, the work or the paper stock that you talked about and what I've seen on your website. It looks incredibly beautiful and I really honestly can't wait to, to sample what you do and have some of that work hanging in my home and, and hopefully in my studio because I'd love to show this sort of stuff to my clients as well. So again, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for sharing what you did and thanks for being part of the podcast. Lastly, a big thanks to the Snap Photography Festival people. Thanks for sponsoring today's show, for making the episode and the podcast possible. And thanks too for putting up that great promo code SNAP100 to get listeners 100 British pounds off the cost of their Snap Photo Festival tickets. 
Remember, if you want more details about the Snap Photo Festival, you can find them at snapphotofestival.com, and I'll have links in today's show notes, along with links to anything and everything that Paul and Kate shared or talked about in today's episode, where you can find their full price list, examples of their beautiful paper stock. It's all there in the show notes at photobizx.com forward slash tpx18. All right, have an awesome week, and I'll chat to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Photo Experiment Podcast with Andrew Helmich, brought to you by PhotoBizX, the podcast to help you build a successful portrait and wedding photography business. To learn more, head to photobizx.com.